We're going to continue our study in the Gospel of Matthew. Our focus is going to be in Matthew chapter 20, but I'm going to include the last verse in chapter 19 because it's a good bookend. So starting in chapter 19, verse 30, I'll be preaching out of the New Living Translation for the most part today. Verse 30, But many who are the greatest now will be least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever is right at the end of the day. So he went to work. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At 5 o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. And he asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. And when they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us, who worked all day in the scorching heat. And he answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted, to be, I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the authority that it holds in our life. We submit to that authority now. And I just pray, God, for the grace and the anointing to faithfully communicate your truths to your people. And I pray for my brethren here that they would be anointed by your spirit to receive what you have for them. We're expectant this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, if you guys remember where we left off in our last study in Matthew, Jesus is in the middle of kind of changing the way the people viewed the kingdom of God, right? He's on the way to the cross. That's his trajectory. And he's explaining to them this upside-down, backwards nature of God's kingdom. And in that whole storyline, in this time, he, the, you, Billy taught about the, the rich young ruler who asked Jesus, What's my, what must I do to get into the kingdom of heaven and receive eternal life? And Jesus tells him, sell everything and follow me. The man couldn't, right? Because he loved his earthly treasures more than the true treasure who was right in front of him. Right in front of him. The rich young ruler missed the whole point of the kingdom. The real treasure is Jesus. And it's the same thing this week, guys. People missing the whole point of the kingdom. We're missing the real treasure. The real treasure isn't the wage. The real treasure is the vineyard owner, 
The best thing about the kingdom of God is that we get God. The most precious treasure in the kingdom of God is God himself. Jesus was telling the people that unless God does this miraculous work of opening their eyes to see who truly was in front of them, how valuable he was, the pearl of greatest price, unless he did something like that, something miraculous, it'd be impossible to be saved. In fact, Jesus says it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle unless God moves. And it's in this context that he explains the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. It's upside-down. We just don't understand it. There's so much about God that we don't understand, right? We're talking about the infinite, right? The infinite God, the majestic God. We don't understand how and why he loves us. We don't understand his ways or his thoughts. I mean, the Bible even says, my ways and my thoughts are higher than yours. We don't get it. We don't understand his plans. Paul says in Romans 11, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. You can't even trace his path. He's so unknowable. How could we know the mind of God? I mean, Paul says this in Ephesians 3. He talks about God's love is is too wonderful for us to understand. We just don't get it unless he gives us the understanding. And even the disciples in this account, they still kind of don't get it, right? Peter asked Jesus, right, after the whole rich young ruler thing, Peter asked Jesus what they would get in return for laying down everything and following Jesus. He's still back in that same place, like, what are we going to get, Jesus? And Jesus, in, in his grace, he just responds in the language that hopefully they would understand. He goes, Peter, you're going un- to receive a hundred times more, okay? You know what I mean? They, he's still in that plane, and Jesus was saying, man, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. And Jesus follows up that strong truth with something crazy about the upside-down kingdom. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. In a sense, Jesus is telling them, guys, it's really different than what you're thinking. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. It's the opposite of what you're thinking. And so he continues to tell this parable to the people Because hopefully it was something that they can understand. It was contextually relevant, right? Jesus' audience knew about vineyards. They knew about agriculture. They knew about the seasons of harvest and the seasons of planting. They knew the work and the labor involved. So Jesus tells this parable to explain to them this radical grace that God has for people. That's his goal. He wants to describe about this wild, impossible-to-understand truth that in God's kingdom, in God's kingdom, someone who comes in and works one hour really, and really doesn't put in their time, they get the same reward as that early morning, working all day, being productive 6 a.m. worker, which is wild. That's crazy. That doesn't make sense in our mind. It's so backwards. And that's why the grace of our God is so often misunderstood. So this vineyard owner, he went out to find workers to work his vineyard. The vineyard owner, the vineyard owner represents God, the generous and gracious one in our parable. And so the vineyard owner finds uh, some day laborers in the marketplace, guys. So he goes and he sees these day laborers, and these are guys who are typically unskilled, uneducated. You know, they, they, they had to get work day to day versus having like some really good vocation that they can go to that would provide some consistent income. And this represents the people 
whom God is calling to himself. The day laborers represent the people who God is drawing to himself. And the vineyard represents the kingdom of God. And these day laborers, they would show up really early to the marketplace, and as work opportunities would arise, they would take it, and they would work for the day, and at the end of the day, they'd get paid. They probably needed that day's pay for, like, meals for their, their family that night or lodging, you know what I mean? They were probably really desperate. They needed that money. And so the vineyard owner in our parable, he goes out into the marketplace in the early morning and he hires some workers to work his vineyard. And this is assumed to be at 6 a.m. because that's the start of the, the Jewish work day. And he invites them to work in his vineyard for, for one day's wage, uh, one denarius. And, that's, and these, these laborers are like, yeah, I'll do that because that was equivalent to what the Roman soldier would get. So now you got like this, you know, unskilled day laborer, and he's got getting Roman pay, Roman soldier pay. I'm down, right? He's going to do that. And at 9 o'clock, the vineyard owner was passing through the marketplace again, and he sees other day laborers standing around and doing nothing. 9 o'clock, and they're still doing nothing. Now, some commentaries say that, hey, just because they're standing around doing nothing doesn't mean that they're lazy. I don't know about you, <laughs> But if you're jobless and you're standing around doing nothing and you're aimless, I might have an opinion about who you are and what's going on. I might have an opinion about what you're deserving, right? I might have one. But nonetheless, what does the gracious vineyard owner do? He hires them. He hires them. He says, come in. Let's go. And the vineyard owner does this again at noon and he does it again at 3 p.m. You know what's neat? I mean, the vineyard owner could have just as easily sent his foreman to go hire these day laborers, right? He had a, he had a foreman. Could have easily sent them, hey, go get some day laborers right out there in the marketplace, bring them in, set them up. Because that's what foremans do. Why did he have to go out himself and go through all of that effort? Didn't he have like landowner type things to address? Why? Because the vineyard owner, God, had a heart for the broke and the broken and the desperate. Because God doesn't want to just send holy orders from heaven. He wants to be connected with us. Because God desires to be intimately involved with every step of your life. Because God is the pursuer. He pursues us. He chases after us. And he does this so personally, personally. And he pursues us in order so that he can lavish his wonderful grace on us, the undeserving. Friends, this parable is all about the wonderful grace of a generous God. A grace we misunderstand. A God who totally is complete in himself. He's totally complete in himself. He doesn't need mankind for anything. But because of his love, he pursues mankind and he lavishes mankind with unmerited favor. And he wants to personally do this. He's not just going to go and send Michael the archangel to handle all these affairs for you while God rules and reigns in heaven. He didn't just send the angel Gabriel to be the middleman of communication for you as you live this life. 
God got involved because he wants to be with you and he wants to walk with you through the steps of your life. A scripture that God has been impressing upon me as of late, it's uh, Psalm 37, 23 to 24. It really drives this truth home for me. It says, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their life. Though they stumble, they will never fall. For the Lord holds them by the hand. It was so rad how Sean was doing the call to worship. It was such a parallel passage from Isaiah. That's God's heart. That's God's heart. Walking with God is not this disconnected, distant thing. It's very intimate. It's this involved romance that we get invited to. And it's neat how in this parable, the vineyard owner exhibits this beautiful characteristic of God. Because, again, this is the focus of the parable. The wonderful radical, perfect, hard-to-understand grace that God has on undeserving people. The very definition of grace is God's love and unmerited favor freely, freely given to those who do not deserve it. Man, that's crazy. That is so crazy. If that doesn't blow your mind, we don't get grace. If that doesn't blow your mind, you still don't get it. And that's hard to understand. You know why? Because we naturally don't operate that way. As humans, we don't, we don't do that. We, 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 we pay for performance. So our vineyard owner, he goes back to the marketplace at 5 p.m., closing time, right? Closing time. And what does he find? More day laborers, more of them, standing around, doing nothing. These guys were known as the, the 11th hour workers because 5 p.m. is the 11th hour. And there's a reason why these guys weren't hired to work earlier in that day. You know, maybe, maybe they didn't appear to be the strongest. Maybe they were the least skilled. Maybe some of them had, like, some clear physical limitations. Maybe they didn't promise the best return on investment for the, for the landowner. Whatever it may have been, they weren't hired to work that day for a reason. And what does our gracious vineyard owner say? Go out. Join the others in my vineyard. Inside, I'm thinking, man, what's the point? It's 5 o'clock, right? Work for like an hour? What, what's, is that even worth it? Right? Is that even worth it? And as we see in our parable, there is a point to coming into the vineyard at the 11th hour. There is a point. At the end of the day, the owner has his foreman bring all the day laborers to come and receive their pay, starting with the last guy first, the last guys first, right? We don't know what those 11th hour day laborers were thinking. We don't know. We can kind of, you know, extrapolate a little bit. I mean, it probably took them like 30 minutes. They show up at 5 o'clock. There's like 30 minutes of training, figure out how, what's, what's the job, right? What is this job that I'm supposed to do? And so they work for like 30 minutes and then the whistle blows, day's over. It must have been a ridiculous and incredible surprise when they received a full day's wage. Do you imagine that? They work for like 30 minutes and all of a sudden they're getting the same pay that a Roman soldier gets for working a full day. I'm sure they were stoked. As they should be. This is tremendous grace and wonderful generosity. But this move of grace... <clears throat> by the owner had an effect on those who were hired at the beginning of the day. It revealed their hearts. And as I was studying this sermon and I just let the, the Lord just kind of let me sit in it, it revealed my heart. It revealed my heart. 
the early workers hired at 6 a.m., working hard all day in the scorching heat, when they saw what the 11th hour guy received, they assumed that they would get paid more. They had expectations. They agreed to a day's wage. And they were the only people that the owner had this discussion of pay rate with. And they landed somewhere with, you know, they landed to somewhere concrete. They had an agreement. They were the only ones. They should have expected what they agreed to. But upon seeing the gracious hand of the vineyard owner, they expected a greater wage because of what they had done. They started focusing on their efforts. Started looking at how long they toiled. Started looking at the conditions, uh, scorching heat. They started focusing on these other things instead of the grace, the grace of the vineyard owner. There were several things at play here. These early workers forgot that they came into the day unemployed. They had no job. They had nothing. They forgot about that. They forgot about the fact that they were pretty desperate. They needed money tonight to feed the, feed the family. They lost sight of the fact that the vineyard owner had been very fair and very generous. And they lost sight of the fact that the work that they were able to do that day was a gift. It was a gift. And they grew entitled as they thought very highly of their own efforts. Golly, that's speaking right to me. I mean, these 6 a.m. laborers, they even protested. They protested to the vineyard owner. You know what they say? How are these that only worked for an hour getting the same as us who have been working all day in the scorching heat? In many ways, this reminds me of the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. You guys remember that story? The older brother put so much stake in what he had accomplished for his father. Dom mentioned it earlier. I'm so glad we camped there because it's such a true thing. The older brother was furious when the father wanted to take back and welcome back this wayward younger brother of his, right? He was lost, but now he was found. Yeah, but he's wayward. He's not doing like I do. Let's dive into that a little bit. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and let's turn to uh, Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at Another parable, that the, the parable of the prodigal son. I'm gonna, while you guys are turning to that, I'm going to give a little bit of background on this familiar story. You know, the father has two sons, right? Two sons. And they work the estate with him. And the younger son decides he wants his inheritance now. That was like saying back in the day, hey, dad, you're dead to me. I want the money now. And so the younger son, the younger son wants the money, and then he blows it all in riotous living. A famine breaks out into the land, and the younger son is found broken and destitute. He's starving. He's, like, working some very, like, nasty jobs, feeding pigs. And then he looks at the pig's food, and he's like, oh, my gosh, the slaves at my father's house eat better than this. He comes to his senses, right? And he returns to his father, and he asks for forgiveness. And the gracious father receives him back with celebration. We pick this up in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, 
and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet with this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Now the circumstances aren't the same, but the heart is strikingly similar. The older brother was angry because he felt that his works and his efforts weren't being rightly rewarded compared to, compared to his younger brother. His younger brother was being celebrated. Didn't deserve that. The older brother is just like the 6 a.m. worker in our parable today. He had such a high view of his efforts and works that it threw his expectations into the realm of being entitled. And he couldn't believe that his father would celebrate the return of his wayward younger brother, the 11th hour worker. Compared to him, the younger brother didn't deserve anything, but he was being celebrated and accepted. The older brother lost sight of who he was, like Dom was saying. He lost sight of his own identity as his father's son and how the whole estate was his. If you guys look in verse 31 there, it says, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he was found. If the older brother was solid in his identity, he would be secure in his inheritance. He would have never once wavered. Like He would have known everything is his. And if he knew that everything was his, he would be free to celebrate the generosity and grace of his father towards his brother. Guys, if we are secure in our identity in Christ, we will be secure in our inheritance. We will experience freedom, freedom to celebrate God's grace and generosity towards the least deserving. We would be free to celebrate that. But we have to know who we are first. And here's a flash, guys. We are the least deserving, all of us. The focus is not on merit because we have no merit. The focus is on the amazing grace that God has on us. In both cases, the 6 a.m. workers and the older brother, the grace of God is misunderstood. The 6 a.m. worker and the older brother lost sight of the grace of their master, and they started looking at their merit. Started looking at their merit. Human beings repeatedly misunderstand grace. Grace, we misunderstand it to be a wage. Let me say that again. We as human beings, myself for sure, we misunderstand the grace of God to be a wage. Human beings repeatedly forget that tr the true wage, the true wage of our works have earned us death. We forget that. 
And you know, I think the people who are most susceptible to this are those of us who have been walking with the Lord for a long time. Jesus says, so those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. He's saying, man, it's different in my kingdom. It's not like the world. It's not like culture. It's different in my kingdom. In what ways have we, have we forget, we've misunderstood God's wonderful grace to be a wage for our good works? How, we, how have we done that? It's a subtle thing. It's totally sneaky. And it starts with forgetting about who we really were before Christ rescued us. That's where it starts. And that's why I made that comment about us who've been walking with the Lord for a longer period of time. Because that time that we first experienced that grace and now, it might have been, there might have been some time there and we forget. We forget the, the broken and lost destitute place where we were. When God in his mercy reached down into the muck and the mire, grabbed us by the hand and brought us into life. We, lo- we forget that. We forget that. Friends, I say this with all humility because there's so many of you in this room that I, I respect so much. There's so many of you guys in this room that have been like laboring for the glory of God and the kingdom of God here in Ventura before I do, did anything good for God. There's so many of you guys that have like walked in seasons ahead of me and you've been faithful. But guys, I say this to all of us. Without the grace of God and Him rescuing us from our slavery to sin, we are only broken, hopeless, destitute, 11th hour day laborers. We are the 11th hour laborers in every way. In every way, guys. Both in merit, because we have none, and in position. Our best efforts could only earn judgment from God. And our lineage, our lineage as Gentiles, that put us in the outer courts. We were without hope. We were without hope. But God, our vineyard owner, he didn't want to leave it that way. He didn't want to leave it that way. He didn't need us, but he didn't want to leave it that way. And he didn't want to just send some foreman to go into the marketplace and just just hire some broke day laborers. He personally got involved and he got invested and he sacrificed. He sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to lay down his life to pay for your sin and my sin. He got his hands dirty so that he could change our identities from broke, hopeless, unskilled day laborers into children of God children of God. John Calvin wrote this, the more men learn to see the dimensions of their utterly lost condition, the more they will also, by God's grace, appreciate their marvelous deliverance. Dang. I need to, I need to take that in. I need that to go deep. Have we lost sight of that this morning? Our utterly lost condition apart from God. The prophet Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah 64. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Filthy rags. Author Jerry Bridges puts it this way. Even our tears of repentance need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. You see, guys, those 6 a.m. day laborers, they lost sight of what they were invited into. 
They lost sight of the blessing of their day's wage, the one denarius, which was a generous gift. They were unemployed, right? They were looking for provision, standing around doing nothing, waiting for somebody to hire them. Let's let's not lose sight of the beautiful provision that has been given us. Let's not lose sight of that. We've been given a denarius, eternal life with God, salvation, right? Knowing Jesus in this life, knowing Jesus in this life, being one with the Father. We've been given that. Man, have we lost sight of that this morning? Don't lose sight of the miraculous that took place to bring you in. It was a miracle to bring you in. And let's not lose sight of the sacredness of the work that we're all called into. Yeah, I know it sometimes feels like hard work. You guys, and you, you know, a lot of you guys, the dads, you know, doing what you can do, working super hard, being faithful, pointing your wives to Jesus, pointing your, pointing your kids to Jesus, just being faithful to that. The wives are just like totally doing what they get, sacrificing their lives for their kids, being faithful at work. Some of you guys working in kids' ministry, leading the youth. I know it sometimes feels like hard hard work and the circumstances make it feel like you're doing it in the scorching heat but it's sacred it's sacred guys it's sacred in the end it's not what we will get in return for following Jesus it's all about who we get we get God himself right you know during my sabbatical I was convicted of this you know during the first few weeks God was doing this this real heart work man and it was totally uncomfortable but it was good and he was healing and he was mending he was making things whole again in my heart and in that he revealed something he revealed how I was grumbling how you how I was complaining about the work how I was complaining about the difficult things the hard things how I was complaining about you know some of the relationships that once was and are no longer the disappointments And he showed me that I had lost sight of how precious it was to be invited into this work of God in the coastlands. I lost sight of it. I had lost sight of how sacred this work was. I had lost sight of the grace of the vineyard owner. I had lost sight of the value of the treasure. And friends, some of you guys are there this morning. And the grind will do that to you. The weight and the burden will do that to you. And if that's you this morning, ask God God for eyes to see just how amazing His grace really is. Ask Him. Ask Him. And pray for the ability to see the value of this treasure that is Jesus. So when He put that on me, I repented. And He forgave me and He restored my stoke again. Like I said earlier, he restored the fire and that hunger to pursue him in this season. And we could look to Jesus as our champion for this because he did that. God says to us this morning, I want to be gracious. I want to be generous. And we as his people, we need to celebrate when he moves in that way. We should look at others who are being blessed, who haven't performed well, And we should celebrate. You know what's happening in heaven when God graces the undeserving? Again, in chapter 15 of Luke, Jesus says this. 
Luke 15, 7. There is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and have it straight away. Isn't that crazy? That's like backwards. That's crazy. But that's how it is in the kingdom of God. There is a celebration in heaven when God lavishes His grace to the undeserving, the poor performing, and those respond. When they respond, there's this crazy rager happening in heaven. And we ought to do the same as His people. Let's not look at ourselves and our efforts. Let's marvel at the generosity and the grace of our God towards the undeserving because we are all undeserving. Paul understood this. He understood a lot. He's done a lot. He knew a lot of things, Paul did. He says in Ephesians chapter 3, Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's radical, man. Paul had accolades, right? He was the first hour worker for the kingdom. I heard, a, I heard Matt Chandler say the other day, who, 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 witnessed to, who witnessed to Paul? Jesus. Like, who led you to the Lord, Paul? Jesus did. You know what I mean? He has a really gnarly lineage, Paul did. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. But he never lost sight of, he, of who he was apart from Christ, who he was apart from God's grace. He knew he was the least deserving of all people. Paul is writing this beautiful book, the book of Ephesians, in a Roman prison. How is Paul able to write such wonderful things about the grace of God and the work that he is called to in the worst of circumstances? I don't get it. In a Roman prison, chained to the Roman guard. I mean, most of us would take that scorching heat that the vineyard workers were complaining about versus the Roman prison that Paul was in. Why was Paul's view so much different? Because Paul kept his eyes on the vineyard owner. Paul kept his eyes on God. He didn't really focus on the work. He didn't look at the conditions. And for sure he wasn't, com- he wasn't comparing himself to what the other laborers were getting. He didn't care about that. He had his eyes fixed on Jesus. And that's what allowed him to, to, to see the sacredness of the work that he was called to. He was chosen to explain things revealed that God once kept secret. What secret? Well, verse 6 says it in the same chapter says there in verse 6, both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both, both enjoy the promises of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. What is it? He's saying the first hour laborers and the 11th hour laborers share the same inheritance. That's amazing. And it's a good inheritance. 
And God's purpose in all of this, it says in the previous section that we talked about in Ephesians, was to use his church to display his manifold wisdom to the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God is using us, his church, the undeserving, the 11th hour guys, to basically brag about how amazing he is and brag about how amazing his grace is to the angels in heaven. This grace that gives rights and privileges to know him and enjoy enjoy him to the undeserving. He's giving it to those of us who don't deserve. That displays his wisdom, Paul is saying. It's wisdom that we don't have unless he gives it to us, which is why his act of grace is often misunderstood by us. We don't have his wisdom, which is why when we hear about the upside-down kingdom of God, it doesn't make sense to us because we don't have his wisdom. We need his wisdom in order to really understand his grace. Friends, let's ask for it then. Ask for his wisdom. If this is all like hard for you to get, man, ask for it. Ask for God's wisdom so that when we hear backward things like those who are first will be last and those who are last will be first, we can say yes and amen. Ask for God's wisdom so that when we see those who are least deserving of God's privileges and they get graced graced like crazy by our king, we can say wholeheartedly, yes and amen. We wouldn't be envious. Ask for God's wisdom so that we would see who we are apart from God, our utterly lost condition, so that we wouldn't grow entitled to his favor and his love, and his mercy, and his grace. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're that 11th hour worker. You know, you've lived your whole life your own way. And you've reaped the benefits from that. Your life is broken. You've got no hope. And you're wondering, man, what's the point? What's the point? Am I even welcome here? Why would God call me? I got nothing to give. I'm so far off. I'm here to tell you, just like the generous vineyard owner told the 11th hour day laborer, come in. Come in. Doesn't matter what you bring to the table. Doesn't matter. That's not what God wants from you. There is a point for you being here today. Doesn't matter if you've blown it time and time again. Come join us in the vineyard of our Father. Enjoy him in this place. We have, you have such a wonderful inheritance promised to you. Is Christ himself. Maybe you're here this morning and you're that 6 a.m. worker. You've been faithful, but in the grind you've taken your eyes off the generous vineyard owner. You've lost that wonderment. You've lost that gratitude toward the grace that you were granted years ago. And you sense even some entitlement growing in your heart. Maybe even a a root of bitterness toward God and towards others who you see God as gracing and blessing. I'm here to say this morning to us, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Let Let him know this. Not that he doesn't know it, but let him know it. It's healthy for us to do that as his kids. Open your heart to him. Release that burden. Ask him to meet you. Ask him him to reveal himself to you this morning. 
Ask him to allow you to experience his presence. Ask him to clear up any of that spiritual debris that might be in your heart that's creating some kind of distance between you and him. And I want to charge you to wait expectantly. Wait, just wait. We got these carpets right here. We got these carpets right here. That's why they're here. So you can come to the Lord and let him do that in you. And I say wait expectantly because God is going to be faithful to respond. He's going to be faithful to respond. I feel like the Father is saying to us right now, he's saying, if you only knew what it is that I'm inviting you into, you wouldn't even be concerned about the wage. You wouldn't be concerned about the work or what others are getting because you would be so wrapped up in my grace. Guys, we have an amazing God who loves us and he wants to meet with you this morning. So I'm going to have the band come up. I'm going to pray. Let's not miss out. Let's not miss out. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this amazing grace that you saved, you saved a hooligan like me who was so far off. I was your enemy, Lord, and you saved me. I, I, you didn't save me because I added value to your program. You're not looking for us to add value to your program. You're not looking, us, looking at us to, to produce for you. You came to seek us because we were lost. We were lost, Lord. And so, God, we just ask right now that you would, you would really minister to us. That we would have this fresh experience of your grace and your love. Some of us who, maybe it's been a long time since we've thought about that. Lord, rekindle that. Fan into flame some of that stuff, God. And for those of us who are coming in and we're like, wow, Lord, I don't even feel welcome here. I've, brun- I've done nothing but wrong. I've been nothing but an enemy to you. Lord, help us that are in that space that we experience the welcome of God himself. Lord, give us eyes to see your grace. Give us wisdom to understand your grace, something that's far more than what we can understand. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.